0: Welcome back to another exciting week in the Web3 universe. I'm your host, The Mayor, and you're listening to the best NFT media nominated NFT and Chill podcast, the show that discusses interesting topics with artists, creators, and thought leaders from the Web3 space. On this week's episode, we have Marielle Gross from Henny, and we're going to be talking about healthcare on the blockchain, what that means for the everyday person who, like all of us, we deal with healthcare. So this should be an excellent episode. So sit back and chill while we explore the exciting world of NFTs and Web3 together. My who I have with me today is Marielle Gross. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to have you on the show. Uh, You want to give the listeners an introduction?
1: I'm Marielle Gross. I am a OBGYN physician and a bioethicist and now the founder uh, and CEO of Henny, which is a company that's using NFTs to empower patients as the owners of their biosamples.
0: Awesome. This has definitely been a topic that's come up quite a bit in the Web3 space of late, which is healthcare and how Web3 and blockchain technology can better serve everyone. First and foremost, I just get your opinion on how Web3 and blockchain technology and and NFTs can better serve everyone on the healthcare side of things.
1: Yeah, so my interest in this topic stems from many years back, really focusing on the problem that we're seeking to solve, which is that patients contribute to research, they contribute to learning in our systems through their data, through their biosamples, and that our current system in which those patients' names are removed from their samples, it's called de-identification for the purposes of research. They had no assurances that they would benefit from the research that they contributed to, even if it was timely and relevant for their own health care. So it's focused on that problem. And it was really when my brother had an ICO, you know, 2016 that, that I was like, wait a second. This technology has, it shares an ethos with the nature of the problem that I'm trying to solve and this idea of, you know, what we owe others and how it's distributed uh, in a way that's equitable and that fundamentally disproves the assumptions that our health systems made when they were designed and that we assume that privacy and utility of data were necessarily intention. As your listeners, I'm sure know, Blockchain plus related privacy-preserving innovations completely disprove, although not necessarily irresolvably so, the assumed tensions that have led us to basically sacrifice the potential for individual patients to benefit from the research that they make possible. There's a deep theoretical relevance of blockchain to healthcare. Because of the unique nature of the data, my expertise is on the ethics of evidence in health systems and really what I consider the health data supply chain. So I've looked at this from every, how that data is created, defined, captured, stored, analyzed, you know, transferred. That said, I think it's been obvious to those who are in the space that And this is true outside of healthcare specifically, but I think it's especially true in healthcare. The way to take those theoretical benefits of blockchain and implement them in a system that's incredibly complex, you might think of as like a coral reef, and and deliver value in a way that you can have one-off solutions for individual problems within healthcare, but it's such a mess. And, and the incentives are so sort of notoriously misaligned that there's been a struggle, I think, to go from, you know, the theory practice divide is immeasurably difficult to ascend in the healthcare space, in particular for any new technology. And then when you add to it the fact that it sort of flies in the face of the existing incentive structures of how healthcare institutions are designed around, which is institutional interest, not individuals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the basis of Web3 and blockchain and NFTs is that is ownership and, you know, transfer of ownership and also kind of giving more power back to the consumer and the individual. I think a lot of that makes sense when you dive into the healthcare because that data, your data is, is yours. It should be your ownership and also easily transferred. Like if I go to a doctor now and I want to change doctors. There is a whole process to you know, moving my records. And I think blockchain technology definitely makes that an easier process. And just the fact that you own your medical records, I think it just makes sense. Could you speak to what like the average person, like the everyday listener who's listening to the show, how they could benefit from that?
1: There are those for whom the idea that you own your medical records is intuitive, and is sort of has obvious value propositions. But having access to and owning are totally different things. I think we have to also admit that, you know, what does it mean to own your health records? What does it mean to own data, period, is not something that's been firmly established as a mental model for society at large. Even within people who are trying to do it, they're still having to make decisions because that, that layer of society is not yet solidified. It's still in that molten lava form. And so really the core, you know, underlying principle here we have is that, look, there's only one thing for which ownership has been near universally decentralized, and that's the human body. It's not only intuitively true. It's a basic tenet of democracy. It is protected by our laws, by our cultural norms, by our economies concept of Web3 is this recognition that human civilization is migrating from some one that was really physical in its primary nature to one that is at least equal parts digital and in a way that's increasingly indistinguishable, right? The digital and the physical are, are, are completely intertwined. And in the digital realm, none of those principles of self-ownership exist. Own your health records. Well, getting a copy of them isn't, doesn't mean ownership when the health institution is the one that can commercialize it at scale when it's biographical and not autobiographical because essentially healthcare is like still in web 1.0 more or less and yet it's the most relevant data to your life and your well-being literally your survival depends on it. You could say that people need to be able to own the web in order for the future of human civilization to be democratic, in order for it to be humane, and in order for human rights to basically evolve into the 21st century fully, which they haven't. A large portion of our lives, increasingly large, is uh, in the colonial society. And so how do we change that? Like, where do we begin? It's like we're in the same exact position as a serf in the medieval times, it's like you could come up with a really great idea. Well, maybe if we just reason with the monarchs, you know, our view is that there's this sort of universal acceptance of the norms of owning your body. There's, there's legal, social, economic protections around that. If you don't own the actual pieces of your body is a biopsy, is a piece of your tissue, is a, is a bit of your blood. If you don't own that, you'll never own the digital data. And that, whatever that means to say you own the, your health data uh, is, essentially false if you don't own the actual body itself. And interestingly, the physical body parts are uh also intuitively really tied to your sense of, of self.
0: Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> there's so many issues with the healthcare system, but these companies, these pharmaceutical companies and these healthcare companies can, you know, like you said, use your personal data, I guess to advance themselves and without you even knowing it or or benefiting from it and the same goes for let's say a new drug or a vaccine they get a bunch of money from the people the taxes for research and all this other stuff and then they can still turn around and sell it to those same people
1: we're highly cognizant of that but the current system really uh, locks that up because the universities have a public mission and accountability. The hospitals are accountable to the patients. And yet our system of the identification essentially has these really untoward implications where you can learn something that is timely and relevant or develop a new drug or even create a piece of information that could save a person's life, who you could see from the window of your laboratory, if you're lucky enough to have windows, a way to reach them, even though they have a smartphone in their pocket and they're coming to the Hospital across the street from your lab every week for cancer treatment or whatever, and it's not that that connection doesn't exist. It's that the series of silos and funnels and grates that are created to allegedly protect our privacy, which we know is not is not the point of de-identification. It's not about privacy. It's about enabling third parties to have secondary use of your data, in this case of your tissue or your biosamples, without owing you anything. That's the function of it. You know, a researcher can learn about BRCA cancer mutation, a breast cancer gene mutation, this is the mutation that was the reason why Angelina Jolie got a prophylactic mastectomy. A researcher can learn about that in a patient and have no way to let the patient or their doctor know. And this is a researcher in the same essential system as where the patient's receiving their care. But because of, you know, legal architecture that we create our research institutes and our universities and our hospitals under different frameworks, and we filter it away, that they have no way to to return that result, uh, which is not just relevant for that patient's care, it's relevant for their whole family's risk profile. And it's just, it's a totally unacceptable, uh, and I believe negligent consequence that is only going to become more common as our pace of learning accelerates. Like, this is not a unique to this one use case, it's not just about breast cancer, but the fact that you can't own, you know, the BRCA gene went to the Supreme Court before and that was the reason why you can't patent human genes and so while we prevented the you know companies or others from being able to patent our genes um, we never came up with the other side of the solution which is well how does the person own their own like we don't we still don't have the way for us to own ourselves and so that's where really I think these technologies come in our first step is of just showing people what's been collected from them which is, I think, remarkably sufficient for restoring their sense, immediate sense of ownership, no matter what they signed or no matter what was, you know, insufficient legal architectures are around who owns your tissue or your, your blood or your whatever. You know, as soon as the person sees that it exists and knows where it is, it's theirs. Just from
0: having this conversation right here, I'd like to know, you know, who has my data, what they've done with it, more importantly what they have gathered from it Um, if i'm at risk for something or if there's some kind of complication i know a lot of policies that get created are not to protect the everyday individual it's to protect the corporation or company from you know having to pay someone (laughs) for that data or whatever they've done or to protect them against repercussions from the individual hopefully All of us are trying to do in Web3 is change and learn from Web1 and Web2 and even before that and help make it better for everyone all over the world. You know, what you're doing at Henny and just talking about it right here is definitely helpful to that process. What I want to do is kind of get into the soulbound token of it and what you're doing with soulbound token because i i know that's going to play a big role in healthcare on the blockchain could you just talk about what soulbound token is and how you yourself are applying it
1: yeah you know, the the whole idea of an of an nft like a non-fungible token is a bit tongue in cheek right because it's it's a token so it's it's meant to be exchanged so it's fungible in that regard. I think we know that, you know, there's this inherent uniqueness of what an NFT is, allows something to be both fungible and yet irreversibly and permanently unique, right? Like the Mona Lisa. You could exchange it for a Monet, but it it, it might be worth the same amount, but it's it's a totally different thing. And this of course is true of people and what I what I realize about the core technology of, of NFT is is that the technology itself is the ability to apply to a digital object a digital man-made object, the property that's inherent in every living being, essentially giving a genome to a digital object. And so there are certain aspects of that. Can you sort of allow for that uh, participation in, in a, you know, increasingly digital world while recognizing those things that are, you know, easy to recognize in the physical world? Because you only are in one place at one time. You're one human being. You're sort of this identifiable entity. And because the digital framework um, allows for copying and pasting you could be in a lot of places at once but you're still only one person and it sort of allows us to locate the this sort of fundamental unity of the human identity with all of these different physical and digital representations of that one person and so i think the core thing for me about soulbound tokens is their non-transferability and really that that concept again already applies to things we're talking about it already applies to the and, and applies throughout the aspect of the system that we've designed in our building there are certain aspects of the assets in the in the system that we're building that require fungibility like you want a researcher to be able to collect your bio sample you don't want to throw it in, under your mattress so you actually need the fungibility component the actual tokenization is critical because you want the samples to be in the hands of the relevant the most relevant researcher ideally Together with other sam- and people that are as like you as humanly possible, right how many people are really like biologically, genetically, chemically like you in the world? I believe it's not many, probably no more than a hundred, that are the people that you would want their samples with your samples to-, to produce really clinically meaningful research findings. But where do we find each other and how do we unite?:
0: Yeah, absolutely. with the soul bone token, it's kind of in the power of the issuer, the doctor the hospital, the clinic, the healthcare company would be the ones that would essentially issue the token to the person seeking healthcare?
1: I mean, not exclusively. We have a system that's composable. There's different members of the ecosystem. There's patients, there's a physician, there's a researcher, there's a a hospital system, whatever, all these different stakeholders. And we've created this concept where, but the ultimate system design is something that will enable every single stakeholder to be an initiator and a validator within those relationships and those processes. And so it's actually about giving voice to the patient first and foremost by really anchoring it in the thing that I think their claim to from a healthcare data standpoint, the claim to own your Bio samples is, is stronger than your claim to any other health data as a genuine owner. Plus the meaning of that ownership is different because it's exclusionary. First token that we're deploying is, is one that takes past tense informed consent forms, uh, recognizes them as membership in a, a patient owned community. As a bioethicist, the future of consent is consensus.
0: So for those who don't know, soulbound token is, An idea and a concept that Vitalik Buterin, the founder and creator of the Ethereum network, has come up with that came from his experience playing World of Warcraft. And what it essentially is, they are bound to the receiver. So a soulbound token is issued to people and they are part of your identity that can be your driver's license uh a diploma a certificate and they cannot be burned they can only be burned by the issuer they also cannot be transferred once you've received it so that essentially is what soulbound token is last question here this is a question i usually ask our guests and today's topic is healthcare and soulbound tokens and what you're doing in the healthcare sector with the blockchain. What does the future of healthcare look like on the blockchain for the average person, like the typical listener of, of let's say, this show?
1: What I would say, the user is not going to see it as a blockchain or an NFT-based application. The future of healthcare, for which I hope uh, blockchain technologies, including NFTs, Really becomes the backbone of a healthcare system that aligns the incentives around individuals, so that we can deliver precision medicine as a meaningful standard of care, not you know a one-off out-of-the-box solution for that one problem you have that one time, but really as a dynamic system that's learning from our bodies and allowing us to collaborate, you know, with other people and delivering back to the individual, the results in real time. That's what precision medicine is. It's not, but I believe that precision medicine will be blockchain enabled.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. It's a great answer. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'm sure the listeners are going to get a ton out of this episode. I want to thank you so much, Marielle, for coming on the show. Where can the listeners find you and and Henny?
1: Yeah, so Henny is H-E-N-Y dot C-O. I'm Marielle Gross. You could find me at, you know, at Pitt, at Hopkins. Our app is called DeBuy, which is Decentralized Biobanking. And that's at uh, de-bi.com. And thank you um, for your time and interest and questions. And I I look forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for, for coming on NFT and chill. And that's it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Marielle Gross from Henny for coming on and giving us so much incredible information on healthcare and the blockchain. If you are interested in what she's doing or have a vested interest in the things she's talked about, uh, please reach out to Henny and and Marielle as usual. I want to thank my sponsor, Zengo, for making this episode possible. If you haven't checked out the Zengo wallet, you should definitely give it a try. So thank you so much for listening from all over the world. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode of NFT and
1: Chill. I'm the mayor, and you've been listening to the NFT and Chill podcast.